Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Square Pizza Pod. This is the first episode of 2022, and we have a special guest for you. Starting off the year for us, we have Miss Lagra Newman, who is the founder and head of school at Purpose Prep in Nashville, Tennessee. In this episode, you will learn more about the amazing work Purpose Prep is doing in the community, previous policies revolving around equitable initiatives in education that open the climate to be receptive to schools like Purpose Prep, the Tennessee Reward Schools program that recognizes the top 5% of schools in the state for annual growth and the top 5% for academic achievement on top of conversations revolving around the dynamics between charter and district schools and the accountability requirements for charters. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Miss Newman, how are you today? Hello, doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks uh, for joining. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, glad we could get you on. Square Pizza Pod, you know, you're the first um, distinguished guest of 2022, so no pressure, well, um, but we're starting, the year, off, start, starting the year off strong with happy, you, that's right. Happy 2022, let's go. <laughs> love, the, love the enthusiasm already. Um, you're coming from Nashville, right? Yes, I'm in Nashville. How are things going in Nashville? Things are going well, you know, I mean... We're all, I feel like, navigating so much. Um, yeah. Nashville has, I think within the past year, overcome two tornadoes. Um, yeah. We're just getting back in the building after being out last week because of snow, which mm-hmm. kind of shuts our city down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the global pandemic that the world is navigating, uh, we are, you know, as a school, just doing our best to keep our children and family safe, our staff safe, um, and well, you know, safe and well during, during this time. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that we're definitely navigating as a city. Um, but you know, there's so many mantras, right? Like purpose prep strong, Nashville strong. So, uh, there's definitely a sense of resiliency as we, we overcome them and just keep keep pushing for for better that's great i know we'll get into this but had the we first got to connect while i was in nashville but it's been so long since i've been back both personal but professional so glad to hear is things are going as well as they can given the weather and the pandemic and and all else that's happening that we're all kind of dealing with right yeah definitely thankful for uh what is that like 2012 2013 when i was stalking your classrooms and school <laughs> and national prep we didn't agree know, to talk like, about that we didn't we didn't agree to give me feedback live on, <laughs> on my poor teaching practices back in the day <laughs> no i mean we learned so much from the work that you all um were founding in our city oh. in north nashville in particular so definitely took a lot of inspiration from from y'all's work and um so much so many different you know models and ideas and visions have just come together and been solidified in the purpose prep way. So we're definitely grateful for, for those that came before us. I mean, nice of you um, to say, but certainly, I mean, maybe you and I are both biased, but cool to think about, you know, maybe just some of the talent and the people, but also the policy that was happening in 
2010-11 in Nashville and also maybe Tennessee that's not happening right now mm-hmm. just around the initiatives focused on bringing equitable education options to students and families in Nashville and other areas I think that maybe policy scene has changed a little bit in Tennessee but also in other markets like where I come to you now from Charlotte certainly not as much of a clear focus here um, as I think what it was at that time and you know 2011-12 mm-hmm. and 13 with some of the initiatives happening in town. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I'm thankful for that time because it's what opened up the climate to be receptive to schools like Purpose Prep, um, schools that, you know, had a mission on really making sure children received a really excellent education. And I think that, you know, as we think about, you know, Purpose Prep is nine years old, we're going up for our 10 year renewal and we have demonstrated results behind us that we're really proud of. But I also don't see that there's been a shift in terms of how are we learning and growing from the schools that have been successful? How are we mm-hmm. collaborating as a, a community and, and outside of the, the labels, right? Outside of the like, you're a charter versus a district. Like the reality is there is still in our city, the majority of children that are unable to read and write and do math on grade level. And that continues to be a problem that just has plagued us. Um, And I just wish that there was more urgency to leverage best practices. You know, it's not rocket science. We know what works. We Mm -hmm. have to implement it and implement it with high high degrees of fidelity. And um, we've seen it in action. And and why are we not um, being more proactive about collaborating and and leveraging the the resources that we can share to make sure that children, um, regardless of what type of school they're in, gets what they deserve. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I want to get to, I think, both the urgency and probably the fidelity that I know you as a leader and you in the school have had such great success with. But you mentioned something, I think, really important there that maybe not our whole listening audience knows is kind of around the renewal process for charters. So I think oftentimes, if you're not well-baked into this world, you hear about charters and districts and beef and whatnot, but you don't necessarily hear about maybe what charters go through around the renewal process and how charters can get shut down or continue to stay Mm -hmm. open and kind of have to prove they are being effective in order to continue. Um, Mm -hmm. So would you mind just sharing more about that renewal process for charters? Of course, you know, there's so much accountability that comes from being a charter school where we have to adhere to the regulations of the district and of the state Um, there's high levels of transparency in our reporting around everything, academic data, our finances, um, the, the teaching and staffing and student enrollment. Like there's so many different metrics, um, that we have to adhere to, we have to meet, but also uh, have to share transparently in reporting. Um, the unique thing, and, and often when I think about the school district, you know, one of the one of the things that I think about is just how, how is it that, you know, so many people can be beholden to a system that has been failing for decades upon decades Mm. upon decades. Right. Um, It often surprises me that people don't want to be critical about systems that have, have honestly never been effective for children. And I think part of that is that you, they've been allowed, right. Certain, certain structures have been allowed to just chronically fail And because that's the status quo, it's just been what's been allowed. Mm 
Uh, what's unique about charter schools is that we have to not only meet the requirements of our charter, which is what we got approved based off of, but we also have to, on a cyclical basis, so every 10 years, we have to show over the course of that time frame what was our impact? Did we meet the goals of our charter? What is our vision for the next 10 years? And have to go through an approval process to be renewed, um, to continue to operate. And, you know, while some people may think that that's a tedious process, and it is, I welcome it because I think that that's such a great process to say, you know, are you meeting the needs of our district? Are you fulfilling the goals that you set out to fulfill are families and children benefiting from your work. And if they are wonderful, let's continue to renew this contract and, and keep, keep going. Right. Um, and if you're not, then you're not adding value to the work that we're doing as a community. And therefore we, you know, we no longer need your service. And I think, I think it's a great accountability piece that charter schools are, are held to. Yeah, and a few thoughts I'd love for you to, to build off of if you feel comfortable. I think for those that don't know the charter renewal process for the states that allow charters, what, like 40 to 40, 45 maybe across the country, somewhere like that. So, but I think everyone has a different scale for when they have to reapply, right? Whether it's 10 years or five years or something like that. So I think that's point one. I think point two, the origination of charters was kind of that with greater flexibility, some flexibility compared to some districts, they would, on the back end, they'd have to prove that that flexibility helped with the accountability piece and the renewal process to your end as well. Um, but as you said, we also know like the larger districts and systems don't have that kind of, let's say, level of accountability or potential or need to renew. They're mostly open forever unless, you know, a superintendent closes it, which is, which is pretty rare. So I guess I'm curious, like, have you seen um, any conversation or just like thought around the trade-offs with running a high-performing chart like you are, but knowing you have to adhere to that accountability bar and perhaps what it could look like in 10, 20 years of district district schools or more traditional schools ever have to adhere to a level of accountability with potential closure similar to a charter? I think, I think what I still hear, which is surprising because, you know, charter schools have been operating um, for long enough for people to really have the facts down. I think mm -hmm. I'm still... I'm surprised that there's so many myths uh, that negate some of those things that are part of the, the practice of us operating. And an example of that would be, you know, people not understanding that charter schools have accountability measures. Mm -hmm. I was literally at a school board meeting here in the district and there were board members who were literally saying that they, um, they don't have charter schools that, they, that is under their governance. And so, yes, part of that is true in the sense that charter schools have their own board and their governing bodies. That mm -hmm. is absolutely true. Um, but what that information is missing is the fact that overarching of the charter school structure is the Metro Nashville public school structure or the, the structure of the school district. That's right. So yes, you know, again, our decisions and our daily uh, governance um, is handled at the school level. There's still broader accountability that we're held to that's based on our school district. So I think that it still surprises me how um, uneducated 
educated bodies are <laughs> uh, with how charter schools are run. Um, I know that's like a paradox uh, to be uneducated and you're part of an educated, you know, governing body. But I do see like there's a lot of like misconceptions that are still uh, perpetuated by the actual people who you would seek for understanding around this information. So that makes it really difficult. So, so, so I say that to say a lot of people, and I'm glad that you're, you know, bringing this, this out of this conversation, a lot of people do not understand that there are so many accountability measures. And actually our charter, our charter office had a conversation with our school about that shortly after one of those meetings at the district, because they were like, you know, there needs to just be more opportunities for the charter school office of the district to be educating the broader district around what is the overlap? What is the intersection um, that exists that enables us to be able to work together and meet the needs and goals of the district uh, that that we are absolutely being held accountable to. And, uh, you know, so many things would be ideal in this world, but one to build off of this conversation, like, you know, that education and kind of charter school 101 policy would have happened 10, 20, 25 years ago when charters first came to Nashville or Tennessee to, to get ahead of it. And of course, there's always a, a renewal and a re-education um, in an ideal sense, but I think also as well, you know, there's the lack of education around the nuance of charters and other models of education. And also maybe not necessarily in, in Nashville or in Charlotte, but also just the missed narrative or the, the wrongful narrative, what charters are and aren't. And oftentimes pushing those things that aren't true. So it's harder to get to the actual um, facts and education to have more um, coherent conversations and, and factual conversations is certainly something we've seen in our work across North Carolina and some other markets we've been in as well. And I think I, I wrote an op-ed about this, about just, you know, we really need to stop being so divisive about the types of schools. And, and in it, I reflect on, you know, as a black woman, I am of the community that I serve. And oftentimes, because I'm a charter leader, I'm pitted against the district as if like, I'm not for public education. And it's like one, charter schools are public schools. Two, families of the district are asking and demanding for additional options. That's why they are selecting themselves to be a part of, you know, charter schools. And so I don't, I don't like feeling like I'm not a part of the public, you know, like I very much am. I, my, you know, my children will go to schools in the district. Now, right. whether that be charter, magnet, obviously at elementary, it'll be charter at Purpose right. Prep. Um, <laughs> but whether that's, you know, like I'm a part of the, the district, I believe strongly in public education. I just believe in high quality opportunities for families. And I think that when you have a, you know, a district and, and, and I think sometimes it can feel negative to mm -hmm. say that the district is failing, right? I think that there's some offense taken where it's like, you know, oh, how could you talk about schools like that? But the reality is we're, we have to come to terms with there are schools that are being challenged. Mm -hmm. um, even Purpose Prep, like coming out of the pandemic, our data was like tough to, to really grapple with like, wow, we did not serve children as well as we wanted to during this pandemic. Yes, there were lots of things that we did well, but there were lots of things that we needed to do differently to give children what they deserved. Our results were still significantly higher than you know neighboring schools, but that's mm -hmm. not a proud point, right? When you're sure. really thinking about 
serving children equitably, right? And I, so I think it's like, we've got some learning to do. We've got some assessment to do. We've got some critical analysis within ourselves. And I think when you don't have a, a spirit to lean into your areas of growth and say, this is a problem. Like we're not serving children well. Like what are the things that we need to do? If you're not being critical in that way, then you're not being aggressive about really making changes that will support progress. And that's what I sometimes see. I see so much um, denial Mm. that takes place around districts or systems that have been very unsuccessful in terms of educating children and particularly children of color, children from economically disadvantaged um, communities, like, you know, being very challenged, but not willing to lean in and say like, what are the solutions? What do we need to do? What is the accountability that we need to hold? Instead, what I hear is, oh, you know, our, if we're not being successful, let's blame other entities for why we're not successful. And we all know that if you don't, if you're constantly looking outward, um, as to why you're not being successful, then you're never really taking the internal steps that you need to actually drive progress or drive success. And, and again, that's just the cycle that I'm seeing that takes place, which is not making the progress that our children deserve and they need here, here in our city. Yeah. I mean, I know that's why that mindset and that philosophy to be vulnerable as a leader, but also reflective has allowed you guys to be so successful, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute, but to, to build off your first point, you know, we make a lighthearted joke in our team, or at least I do. I don't know if anybody else does because we, we work with both charters and districts and other, you know, related organizations. But essentially we say the fastest way to, to close the charters for districts to give a really good experience to the, those they're currently serving. Absolutely. Cause it's so Absolutely. hard as a family to, you know, be frustrated Absolutely. with the current school, seek out another option, apply, get the uniforms, meet mm-hmm. a school leader like you, even though you're lovely, that takes a lot of gumption from any family to, to pursue that. And, the, you know, again, we, you and I and many others believe in school options, but if families are really satisfied with the services and the, they are being provided, they'll, they'll stay yeah. at those schools. Yeah. And honestly, educators too. Like, I mean, so, yeah. the reason why, I mean, I started out as a district school educator and I was just overwhelmed by the levels of dysfunction that was taking place in my school building. You know, mm-hmm. as a teacher, like I saw radical progress taking place, like, but it wasn't because I was being observed or supported or collaborated with, with my teams. It, you know, it was a, often a lot of external organizations that I was a part of, you know, namely Teach for America that was coming in or providing, you know, professional learning communities, or I'm out with other teachers outside of my school trying to figure out what to put into my instruction that's going to support students to be successful. So it was that experience that really told me that, like, I want to be a part of impacting children in significant ways. And I don't want that to just be, you know, because they were in Miss Newman's like fifth grade class. Like what about mm-hmm. sixth grade? What about seventh grade? What about sure. their K to, you know, what about their elementary experience? And so it was being in, being in a system that I felt was so ineffective. And I felt that the longer that I would be in that system, the more complacent I would become mm-hmm. where like now I'm okay with the status quo. This is acceptable to me. And that actually terrified me. I said, no, that's not what I want. If I'm going to do this work, I want to be positioned to do it well. And I want it to be in a way that children are transforming. The education that they're receiving is high quality and excellent. Um, We're being very thoughtful about how we're empowering our children through their educational experiences. So it um, it was my understanding as an educator 
of the, the dysfunctions that I was experiencing that led me, forced me to look at other options. And therefore, you know, here I am as a charter school leader and founder. Um, but I think that you're, you're right. If there were more, you know, if, if the, if the system was working, Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that served children well, then there would be an interest both from families, children, students, um, and staff, teachers, leaders to to be a part of that. Um, but that's just not not the reality. And in a good segue, not only are you a, a charter founder and a leader, but a, a pretty well decorated and incredible one, both from quantitative and qualitative data that that we'll get to here in a moment. But can you give kind of broad strokes? We kind of uh, dove right in, which is great. But if we zoom out a little bit, just tell our listening audience um, about Purpose Prep, how long you guys have been around and and what makes you guys so great. Yes, um, Purpose Prep. Purpose Prep in Nashville, Tennessee. We're a kindergarten through fourth grade. Um, We're going through the process of adding fifth grade now. Um, Very, you know, very proud of the work that we've been able to do over the course of the, you know, nine plus years, if you kind of take into account the founding and um, just mobilization of our community, but um, feel really connected to our community. Um, Oftentimes um, it's not as highlighted around charter schools, but I really feel like we're a neighborhood school. We really Mm -hmm. are intentional, um, although we serve children throughout the district and that's a requirement of being a charter school. The majority of our children come from North Nashville, which is, um, it's a, a beautiful community it's a historically African-American community. There's so mm-hmm. many, um, there's so much just history and um, just empowerment in that history. You know, you have your HBCUs, Tennessee State, Fisk, Meharry in that community. Sure. Shout out um, to Tennessee State, the home of the fifth grade national prep founding class for the first, <laughs> <laughs> first year. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful community, um, but it's also historically underserved. The city has not uh, made the prop proper or even equitable investments in that community. Um, so it's also one of the most impoverished communities in our city. And, um, a lot of like just neglect of the city and structural, structural oversights um, have contributed to that. And education is, is a part of that. The school district, that, that cluster of schools that are in that community are historically the lowest performing. And when Purpose Prep came, we were really committed to that community. Um, we wanted to show what was possible. Um, and there were other you know, uh, charter schools like the work that you did at National Prep that was also committed to that. Um, so shout out to, to you all again for paving the way for us at the elementary level, we came in and, you know, within, um, within three years, three and a half years of operating, we were one of the top elementary schools in not just our cluster, not just our district, but in the state. Um, and so we were actually rewarded, uh, for being the top 5% uh, in academic performance across schools in the state, which was huge. And then we earned that recognition again. There were different criteria for what qualified as a reward school that following year, um, but it was our second time of being honored as a reward school. Uh, so we've just been really proud of, you know, that academic success and of really being able to be a proof point for what's possible for our community. 
Um, it's been it's been awesome to see how our work has evolved over time. I think that there's been an added element of purpose prep of really wanting to make sure that we are thoughtful and intentional about the curriculum and the the ways in which we empower and affirm our students through what they're learning. I think that's really important to us given um, the majority African-American population that we serve. And so there's been a lot of um, just action steps that we've taken within the last few years, even more so than when we were founded um, to be really thoughtful about, yeah, what we're exposing students to. And I'll give you an example. Hold on one yeah, second. Please. Let me just- Okay. Uh, for those listening, I think like, uh, like we're going to <laughs> grab, grab, uh, yeah, say gra grab a yeah, little work no, product Yeah, no, but here. I'll give you, we're so, yeah, we're so proud of this. So um, we created and updated our alphabet. Mm. Oh, and cool. so as you can see, right, we were thoughtful about like, how do we affirm our children, right? How do we have more yep. representation that reflects them? That's but cool. also how do we draw upon their history and really inspire them? So starting in elementary, mm. they're learning that A is for Africa and yep. like celebrating the, the resources and wealth of, of the motherland, right? Yep. Um, and then also being empowered from a community standpoint and core value standpoint. So, you know, we really are just That's proud great. of, again, yeah, cool. the additional, you know, ways in which we've been able to not only make sure that they are strong readers, writers, and, and mathematicians, but also make sure that they're just so confident and um, proud of, of who they inherently are, which unfortunately in our nation isn't reinforced enough when it comes to children of color. And we're excited to really be the foundation that they receive that sends them into the world with their heads high, knowing like who they really are um, and the power that's behind that. I love that. And I want to go back to some of the results. I think two things when we were professionally stalking you slash researching, right? The One of the recent National Business Journal articles you had jumped out was like your, your focus and drive around impact and results. And those two things, I think, to your point around accountability, if more school leaders, charters, districts, anywhere have a real clear focus on what impact and results look like, it's at least a, a, a North Star to begin to get to providing equitable options for the students you serve. And then from there, I think it's likely, right, allowed you to be, as you said, top 5% of schools or be a reward school in, in Tennessee. And I think it's really important because, you know, we're in this education space. And so we know about these awards and, and achievement and academic results. But I think it, in any other sense, it's essentially be like a, a business that didn't exist, that started up and was founded by an incredible leader like you. And within two years or back to back years, they are automatically outperforming or performing within the top 5% of every other business in the city and the state in, in terms of these metrics. And I just think from that lens, it's, it's incredible that there was a school that didn't exist anywhere besides your head and in year zero and probably a bunch of Excel sheets and tabs to then existed in real life, brick and mortar, babies, food being delivered, buses, and literally outperforming some of the most wealthiest uh, schools and districts in the state. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, that's what we wanted. That's what we knew was possible, right? Like, I think it's just a matter of like, there wasn't, there's enough for us to know how brilliant our children are. And if we're not delivering on that in terms of them being able to manifest that in the ways in which they read, write, demonstrate their knowledge, then it's on us. It's on us is not providing them with the tools and the inputs. 
And so we spent, you know, years researching, studying Mm. intensely, you know, what are schools doing? What, what are the best practices? This isn't something that we need to, you know, invent. (laughs) We know that there are best practices out there. So then our job was to really know and own those best practices and make sure that we were practicing and being skilled in the implementation of that. And that's what we have done. And that's what we continue to do. I mean, I think that there's growth in that all the time in terms of how can we get better here? How can we, you know, make this tweak and adjust this? So it's a constant learning process, which I think makes this work so rigorous too. It's so Mm -hmm. challenging because it's like, how do we get better and better um, and making sure we're serving and meeting the needs of all students and children are different. They come with different needs. So making adjustments given that. Um, So it's been a, it's been a process, but I think it's been grounded in the study of excellence Mm -hmm. and the implementation of those, those practices to make sure that we are delivering on the promise that that is in our community and just needs to be brought out. So if there's other school leaders out there that are currently running a school or aspiring to run one and they want to have the results you and your team at Purpose and families and students have been able to achieve, I'm going to ask you a bad question, but if you could boil it down to one to two key like must do's or must factors, what would you offer to those school leaders listening? Well, I think there's two that I would say that really take precedence. Um, one is know your why. Hmm. The work is so hard and you really have to be committed um, because to found a school or to be a school leader, your school needs you in the long term. So I knew when I founded a school that, you know, my my minimum was minimally five years. Like I knew that I needed to see the school to full capacity. Um, and, and by you know, capacity, you mean like K four. So yeah, all five grade levels. kindergarten and Perfect. then first and yep. So un- until fourth grade. So I knew that I wanted to see that fully grown. Um, but what I also tell leaders around this, this piece around finishing the school to a point where, you know, you've, you know, done right from a long-term standpoint and mind you, I'm in year nine now, and I don't see myself going anywhere. Um, but what I would also say is, It was also at that time where I started to see the shift of the work being really beneficial to me. Mm. You know, I think that when you start this work as a school leader, it's to give, it's to give and and you're depleted, you're giving your all, you don't, you don't have the proper, and there is no like 50, 50 work-life balance ever. (laughs) I should say that, but it's definitely not anything that you would find to be equitable. Uh, it, it, It takes precedence and it's really difficult. It's really hard. Um, but it was it was me seeing it to the end and continuing to stay on that has allowed me to reap benefits that I never imagined having that I'm so grateful for. I feel like this work is sustainable. I feel like I really, really enjoy what we've created here. The people that I've been able to work with, like, you know, I was telling our director of academics, like, you know, she's pregnant now and I want to continue just to do life with you as we grow ourselves, our families and the work that we're doing here at Purpose Prep. So there's so many, I think, benefits that the leader starts to receive after they've put in that work to get the school to what it needs to be that I think if you leave prematurely, you really miss out on. Um, 
So I would definitely say know your why and, you know, have that commitment in the long term. Um, and then the second piece is, is really around clarity of vision. Know exactly what it is that you want your school to, to look like or what the school should look like. What are those best practices? What do they look like? Why, why do they exist? Like really having examined that to a high degree of detail to make sure that you're very clear because I remember in those initial years of operating, I was able to really shift things that weren't going in the right direction because of my vision. Oh, mm -mm, that doesn't feel right, look right, sound right. That's not how I want it. It's not fitting there. And so I was able to really be able to assess and adjust because I was very clear versus having a murky vision and being like, I think that's okay. Or allowing things to be accepted when they shouldn't have been. Um, it was the clarity of vision that I was able to really act upon because I had high level of, of, of insight regarding what I wanted and what it needed to look like and was able to also provide that to my team who could uh, embody that vision as well. And specific to your why, is that what has kept you in your seat for the nine years, as you've mentioned? So, I mean, nine years is, is an incredible amount of time, whether you're a teacher, a dean, a school leader, a principal in a traditional school, or just an executive in any role, right? That's an incredible tenure, but also the incredible results that you've been able to achieve. So is it to some of those benefits, but also the, the why you've mentioned about what drives you to, to stay in that position? Absolutely. Um, I'm so passionate about this work and it, it really does keep me grounded. Um, to share a little bit about my why, um, I was brought up in a household where my parents were so focused on me receiving an excellent education. It was literally like one of those things where like, if they were going to get anything right, it was going to make sure that I got, you know, good grades right. was in, you know, good schools. My parents, you know, at one point in my elementary career would drive an hour each way to get me to a private school they had placed me in wow. because they believed that that was just the best environment for me. Yeah. And so I saw a lot of sacrifices at a young age around the prioritization of education for me. Um, and I don't think I really understood it until I was older and really understood the story of my parents. Um, but my father was incarcerated at a young age when he was a, a juvenile. Um, and that really resonated with him because he talks about and he's told me that it was that actually that experience of being you know, walked away that he actually felt that he started to actually get in education. And, and in some ways, you know, I've recently read uh, Malcolm X autobiography, but like mm -hmm. going to jail is not how people should like self-educate themselves, right? Like yeah. that, that's the narrative sometimes. Especially of in like, the richest country in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, but my dad was able to, um, you know, have resources that he wasn't having in schools or have access to um, opportunities that he wasn't exposed to um, in his community, in his, his schools. And so it was a, a turning point for him. Um, and, and, and turn fully he did. Uh, but my dad even still is like my advisor. I feel like mm -hmm. he's like the, one of the wisest people I know. And I go to him for advice and insight. And I constantly, you know, he, he's just a living example of someone who the system did not manifest him to be his fullest self and like he was able to take their failure and 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 reconstruct how he made sure his children had what they needed so that they you know didn't have a similar path and i appreciate the the moves and changes he made on behalf of us 
but how many children um, that that have that that capacity, brilliance, wisdom um, are we leaving behind uh, because they're not able to receive what they deserve? So he's been a large part of of my why. My mom, you know, she, similarly, she, you know, they grew up in the same area in Washington D.C., mm-hmm. um, but she actually graduated with her bachelor's degree when I graduated from high school. So I got to see. Oh. You know, when I was in high school, my mom navigating her education and getting, again, what was delayed, but what she was able to accomplish. So, so proud of both of my parents for not only the example that they instilled in me um, and the choices that they made to make sure that I got what I needed to be successful. And I know that a lot of my success is because of my education and certainly because of my family and their decisions. Um, But I'm also just so proud of the, the personal choices that I saw them make for themselves in their adulthood um, that also informed me of just how, how important education is. And so that's why I, I am so passionate about this work and wanting to make sure that our children get what they deserve so that they can um, have situations that set them up for success in a way that, that my parents and the, the system didn't allow my parents to have. Yeah, that's incredible. I appreciate you, Sharon. And um, uh, me personally came from a, a similar background in terms of my parents not going to school until much later on. Um, but growing up in a household that your butt was going to school somewhere and you're going to do a good job mm-hmm. and get a good experience because it's supposed to set you on a good track, which I know is mm-hmm. the experience you're seeking to serve, right. And providing for, for your families and your students as well. Um, yeah. And, and how great is it? So I, I saw um, that your mom is, is a part of the organization. She's part of the team. She, she operates my and life I, and operates the business at the same time. I, well, that was my mom. My mom was the office manager for Purpose Prep. Oh, good. Oh, uh, yeah. Good connection. Yeah. So she, um, yeah, that was her her way of sewing. You know, she always said she was sewing back into Purpose Prep because she was just so proud and passionate about education as well. So mm. um, I'm sure that there's that same synergy um, between you and your mom, which is awesome. I'm sure you and I can um, share what works and what doesn't about moms managing up in a professional (laughs) day-to-day world (laughs) in a good way more so than others but nonetheless that's a separate that's a separate podcast episode um and you know you and literally every other school leader right now is this challenge is to run schools but also run it through a pandemic right and covid um and so now there's so many in charlotte and in nashville and other areas struggling with with bus drivers and teacher shortages and just academics and getting students in so we could talk you know could probably write a whole book about what you're experiencing and adjusting to um, but we'd love to hear kind of what's been working for you during covid and what's what's happening to best serve your students and families given the current climate we're in in the january of 2022 yes um I mean, it's, it's definitely a difficult time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's a lot to grapple with. And I think what educators and what school leaders have been able to do and accomplish, uh, we've, we've, we've kept this, this education thing going, mm-hmm. even though we've had to transition it to virtual or hybrid and in-person masked up. It's just, it's, it's been, it's been a lot to do what we needed to do to keep our families and communities and children and staff and each other safe. Uh, so, I mean, I would say, you know, I think that like what I've learned through this time, um, yes, there are some best practices that we've implemented, but I think some of the things that I've learned is like, 
giving yourself grace during this time, mm-hmm. right? Like it's okay to, you know, not have it all figured out. Um, it's okay to navigate in the uncertain. I mean, I remember, I remember literally, you know, the COVID happening, we're going virtual. And like my, my daughter was like one at the time. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, juggling her on zoom with staff meetings and feeling you know stress and pressure to perform over zoom but i also have a one-year-old who's like with her mom right now and and needing that you know and so i just had to really um process like what it meant to give myself grace because i believe as a school leader you can only do for others what you do for yourself and i've learned that you know Mm -hmm. even even in our founding years, like I had to learn what does it mean to care for myself because I couldn't care for my staff if I wasn't even giving myself a level of care. And so that's something that I encourage, you know, all of us as we navigate this time to give ourselves grace um, so that we can give grace to others and understand like the intersection between results and like doing this in a humane way. Like we're navigating a global pandemic. And so what, what is taking precedence right now? Health, safety, and that's okay, right? Cause, cause that's really important. Like if we don't have people who are alive and well, then, you know, they won't be educated. Educa- education is so important. Don't get me wrong. That needs to be a huge priority, um, but not to the detriment of other things that need to be in place. And I think this pandemic forced us to think about those things. Like what is keeping our community well? What is keeping us safe? And then how are we going to build upon that to make sure that we're continuing to deliver results and provide you know, the needs to our children? Um, we're glad to be back in the building. I think that you know, we've seen our results skyrocket um, mm-hmm. you know, back to pre-pandemic and now we're even building from that um, because we're back in the building where the connection, the human connection is really, really positive for children. And it allows, you know, children to be more focused, obviously, than if they're in their living rooms, you know, at home. So with that being said, I think that, you know, we need to push our community to do what we need to do to keep each other safe. You know, these anti-mask, you know, board meeting rallies to me, is just coming from such a selfish individualistic standpoint. We have children who need to be kept safe. And if like the small inconvenience of wearing a mask supports their safety and their like health, then that's the least we can do. And I just wish that we were a more community oriented nation, right? That said like small inconveniences that literally could be life or death for someone else I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, but instead that's just not the spirit. And so I think like, I'm trying to make sure that our community stays grounded in our care for each other and why that is what's going to keep us safe, keep us well, and keep us able to continue to operate in person so that we can, can do what we need to do to support our children. Yeah. I think always thinking about the greater good, both in education, but also, as you said, around health, um, given the effects of COVID and, and how it adapts or doesn't adapt is, is so important. So I appreciate you lifting that up. Uh, going to get you out of here on, on a few semi, semi rapid fire ones. Cause I, I usually don't 
Okay. As you talk too long. Um, what's one thing, Miss Newman, you wish you would have known about leading a school before you started leading or founding a school, founding or leading? Because those are two different things, right? Mm -hmm. I would definitely say just the history of education. I think that mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of learning that I've done just educating myself about what did education look like, uh, especially for Black people um, after slavery, during slavery? What, you know, what were the consequences and, and what impact did that have on us? Um, I think that the historical insights that I've been able to develop over the course of the past few years have been so critical to my understanding of just systems and structures. And um, it's just been really important. And I, and, I, and I think that there's, yeah, I wish I had just learned that earlier. Um, there's a documentary called uh, By Design, um, mm -hmm. The Shaping of Education in Nashville Schools. And it's by the um, Public Education Foundation here okay. in Nashville. It's so powerful and it really speaks to and it's the pros recent. and cons of Brown versus Board. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. within the past few months. Okay, great. Um, but it's, it's, it's really powerful. It draws upon a lot of strong research uh, and background that's already been developed about the city, uh, but highly recommend it. And um, again, I think that those are the type of gems um, from a historical standpoint that I wish that I knew, because I think it could have uh, more quickly expedited, expedited just my level of insight and knowledge around like history and the impact that that has on our community and, and, and how we move and, and operate, like how we pull from what we've learned from the past to, to make our present and future better. Yeah, that's good. And I'll definitely check that out. I wasn't aware. But also one thing that comes to mind when you think about the history recently of education to me recently, but the larger term in the country and Sharif El-Mekki out of Philly in the Center for Black Educator Development talks a lot about this, but that there was so such a rich um, history and amount of African-American teachers before uh, yes. right? and in, in our country and so much of the integration um, negatively affected the jobs and the amount of African-American teachers in our country and who they were teaching based upon the, the kids and the skin color of the kids in those classrooms. And I think that history is not taught in our schools. It's not taught in many higher ed institutions and understanding how we got here to your point by design, but also, um, you know, by I think just also what's, um, available to understand and mm -hmm. um, how we deliver that and how we um, make sure that is known to the greater good is is so mm -hmm. important yeah absolutely so much respect um for for their work um i watch they have a podcast with freedom fridays and i feel mm -hmm. like there's so many gems of learning there but something else that um people don't know is so you know there's a lot of pictures around um ruby bridges right and like this young precious little girl who's like climbing these steps all of these irate you know this white mob behind her and you know security escorting her in um but what people don't know is that she was faced even more brutality when she stepped into those doors mm -hmm. not a single one of the white teachers wanted to teach her mm -hmm. so literally they had to bring a teacher from the north to be her teacher for the year and she was the only pupil in the class for the entire school year so that mob didn't leave when she stepped inside at the doors of that school building. Yeah. It wasn't just rainbows. And, and so literally she's walking in. 
yeah, there's children in other classes and she's, you know, a little girl, like confused as to why am I the only student in the classroom coming from a school where like she had peers, they played at recess to a, to a school where like she has to eat lunch by herself. She has a teacher who came from the North because no one in the entire school wanted to teach her. Like, and we talk about education and the system of education, like, how how was that equitable for Ruby? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what work did the system have to do to be ready to receive her? Because they hadn't done their work. That school hadn't done their work. And so how do we expect now children to receive an excellent education when teachers don't want to teach them? And I'll I'll say that, yes, it's 2022, but there's still a lot of those teachers that exist today mm-hmm. and why children are not receiving the excellent education that they deserve. Um, it's not because of them and it's not because they don't have the capacity. It's because there are teachers who still do not want to teach them. And I think until we start to have those honest conversations around what's happening when children step inside of the school building, right, then we're not going to see the type of changes that we need to see. Um, and that's, again, why schools like Purpose Prep um, is so important because we want our children. We know that they're capable and they have the capacity and we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that is is manifested um, through the the learning experience that they have here. Speaking of purpose, what's one thing our listening audience can do to support your work? Reach out to us on our website, um, purposeprep.org, and you know we're 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 eager to have talent, time, or treasure. <laughs> so whatever you can give us. Uh, we are eager for, uh, again, very proud of our work and, and want more people to be involved in it, whatever capacity that may look like um, for that individual. So don't hesitate to reach out to us. And again, our website is purposeprep.org. We'll put it in the show notes and when we share the, the podcast and the episode as well. Um, most important question of the day, as always, what does Square Pizza remind you of, Miss Newman? A puzzle a puzzle puzzle. it's a new answer say more say more yeah go I thought about it and I said you know the the power of a a square pizza is like a puzzle there's different elements that are coming together to make a whole and like I envision this square pizza having like pepperoni over here mushrooms over here and spinach over here no mushrooms and these toppings right we don't mess with mushrooms but, but i get it go ahead <laughs> um but the but the toppings really adding to the diversity that constructs like what this whole pizza is going to, to look like so i mean i can't say that was the best answer ever given the respect we have for all of our other guests but i, I i'm so glad i asked because that was so great um Ms. newman thanks so much for joining um the square pizza pod and all the work you're doing um I mean, obviously in Nashville, but of course, as a leader across the country as well. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. And thank you for the good work you're doing and for elevating and using um, this platform to elevate the work of Purpose Prep. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for checking out the Square Pizza Pod, making a few selfish requests. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the podcast and share this with a friend. We appreciate it. Thanks.